Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, I'm glad to see you on this final sermon of this series we've been in, Christ Above All. We've been looking at Colossians chapter 1, and we've been trying, looking deeply into that passage to understand Christ as He is. And we've said again and again that that means seeing all that He is, and then in seeing all that He is, uh, we want to respond to Him as he is. And what we've seen from Colossians chapter 1 is that the Son of God, as the agent of creation, made everything there is. And as the one who made everything there is, he became Lord of all. But not just Lord of all, he became also the source of those extraordinary and rare things that you and I so desperately need. Meaning and purpose and value and significance. All of these things Christ gives to us because of who he is. And that is just as it should be. And we aren't surprised by that because what we've seen and what we've recognized is this, that this Christ, this cosmic Christ who came as, uh, at Christmas, this creator of all things, as he came at Christmas, as he lived that life that was perfect, as he died a death that was a substitute for us, as he uh, was raised again, and given new life, this Christ answered the great need of our lives and of our hearts to be reconciled to God, to be made not uh, his enemies, but to be made his friends. In fact, what we saw was that the, the Christ who is the creator did not treat us as we treated him that we rebelled against him, we rejected him, but rather than doing to us what we did to him, he came so that even his enemies might be by repentance and faith made his friends. So we've been acknowledging that Christ as the creator of all, Christ as the source of all that we need, Christ as the great reconciler that uh, we could not be for ourselves with God, making us, giving us a way to become the friends of God rather than remaining the enemies of God. There is one final aspect of Christ that I want you to see with me. And that is that this Christ who created everything when he comes to an individual and when that individual by repentance and faith receives Christ as he is Lord of all and Lord of their lives, this great creator doesn't stop creating. He continues creating. And one of the things that he continues to create is a new heart in us. He gives us a new life. He gives us a fresh start. But then he also creates and puts us in a new 
people, a new people that we know as the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, what I want to say to you this morning is that Christ, when he comes into a life, not only comes himself, but he comes with a new community. And so there is a package, if you will, that there is, there is more than just Christ who comes to our lives, but there is an entire community that comes to our lives and a community of which we are called to be a part. And we know that new community as the church, as the church. And so I, I, want to, I want you to see with me, part of what we take from Colossians chapter one is, is a definition of what the church is because of Christ. The church is a community of reconciled enemies who are learning to be his friends and are learning to be family to each other. The church is a community of reconciled enemies who are learning to be his friends and are learning to be family to each other. Christ creates for us and gives to us as a part of giving us himself a learning community, a community that is learning to treat him as the friend that he has made himself and to treat each other as family. And this is very, very important for us to see. Understanding this helps us to understand exactly what it is that, what, that, that God wants for his church and what God wants from his church. What, what God expects for you and me and what God wants from you and me if we are reconciled enemies, that is enemies who have been made friends. It, it explains why the church is what it is. And, and what it is is a mix of people. It is a mix of people who at, 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 uh, are at multiple stages in their relationships with Christ, multiple levels of faithfulness. Uh, some are growing, some are backsliding. Some are faithful, some are faithless. Some are caring, some are careless. But for those with old lives made new, uh, they're all united by the fact that they're learning to live their lives with Jesus as Lord. And, and with that in mind, it becomes essential for us to reflect on and remember why it is that Jesus puts his people in a new community. Why it is that Christ puts us where he puts us. It becomes important for us to be able to answer the question, what is ultimately the point of the church? If we don't know what the point is, we won't know what to do with it, actually, and we won't know what to expect from it. And so today, as we come to the end of Colossians chapter 1, we want to explore this question, and we want to explore it from God's perspective. What, what does God say that the point of the church is? We find it in Paul's explanation of the ministry that God gave him to the world and to the church. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 24 through 29. You'll find that on page 983 
in the worship Bibles provided either underneath the seat in front of you or underneath your own seat. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. Now, here's what I want you to see. Paul, speaking to the Colossian believers, having just described for them the cosmic Christ, his role in creation, his role in reconciliation, now brings this chapter to a close by describing the ministry this Christ has given him for them and to them. And he says now, verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and uh, my sufferings in my flesh because I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, I wanna pause quickly. This is one of the most difficult passages in the book of Colossians. We can easily misunderstand it. One of the great themes, of course, of Colossians is that there is nothing that can be added to the cross, that Christ has done everything we need in order to be saved. And when we read this passage, it sounds almost as if Paul is saying, Christ didn't do enough. I'm going to have to do more. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is this, the hardships that the prophets and Christ himself said would come when the Christ came. The, uh, the, the troubles, the challenges that would come, not just to Christ, that he would be persecuted, that he would suffer, that he would die, and that those who put their faith in him would also experience suffering. Um, that prophetic word, both from the prophets and from Christ, Paul says, I'm experiencing, I'm living it out. I'm suffering is part of following and serving Jesus. And, and I'm experiencing that. What the prophet said and what Christ said would be true, it's true. I'm, I'm filling up that part of the prophecy. I'm experiencing that myself. I'm suffering for you Colossians and I'm suffering for others. Verse 25, he says, for, for this church, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, what is it, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." It is him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, Paul says, I toil. For this, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, with this passage before us, I want to talk today about what the church of Jesus is for and why it matters there aren't many people, of course, who don't have an opinion about what the church should be and what the church should do, what its purpose should be. There's a lot of confusion around that subject and a lot of conflict as well. One pastor years ago told the story of, of a woman who came to him and she was really upset because the church was making changes in the way that it did church. And uh, she walked him through a litany of things she did not like that were going on in the life of the church. 
And then I guess, realizing that she had been talking all about what she liked and what she didn't like, that she hadn't even introduced the subject of God before she got done talking to him, she made this statement and she said, and I quote, if God were still alive today, he'd be shocked at all the changes in this church. Well, the reality is she said more than she knew she said. But given the cosmic lordship of Christ over all things as creator, given his headship over the church as creator of that new community, those of us who are in that community would do well to know what God's purpose for the church is before we try to decide what it ought to be. So asking this question, what is the point of the church? is another way of asking this question, what does God want the church to do and be? And there is a related question as well, of course, as a consequence of that, if I know what God wants the church to do and be, then I have a better understanding and a better idea of what God wants me to do and be. Because the church is really and truly a new community made up of a new humanity made new in Christ, reconciled to God through him, a new community that is learning how to live as his friends and how to live with each other as family. What does God want the church to do and be? Well, I want you to notice with me that in this passage, Paul points us to uh, three great insights that reflect God's expectations for the church. There is a certain method that God expects and that he gives to his church to use. There's a goal that God has for the church and there is a call that God consistently gives to the church. And today, as we bring this series to an end, I want us to see what God expects in terms of these three, three things, the method, the goal, and the call that God gives to his church in Jesus Christ. This is so very, very important for us as we come to uh, understand who Christ is as finally the head of the church, as Paul says in Colossians 1, 18. Let's begin with the method that God gives to the church. Do you see it? It's in verses 25 to 27. Paul says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The word that is the mystery hidden for, for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's God-given ministry involves a primary activity. That's what he's saying with specific content to it. And it is the method, this is the method God expects the community of Jesus to use. It's what he expects from the church as well as what we could, can and should expect from the church as well. The method that God seeks from us is the practice, and we see it at the end of verse 25, the practice of making the word of God fully known. This is, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been reconciled, 
to God in Christ, and you've gone from enemy to friend. Hear, hear what I'm saying this morning. This is your single greatest need after your conversion. It is to hear and know and understand the whole Christian message about Jesus, what, what I might call the complete gospel. Paul is called to present to the church Jesus in all of his fullness. Why? Because what the church always needs is more of Jesus, never less. The church always needs more of Jesus, never less. And so Christ, Paul is called to preach the full Christ, to teach the full Christ, to proclaim the full Christ. He knew what so many churches today have forgotten. And that is that their children, what their children really need is a clear view of Jesus of who he is, of what he's done, of what he's accomplished. And, and I, I need for you to understand with me just for a moment that what you and I need, what every single needs, what every family needs, what every parent needs, what every senior needs, whatever, what every middle-ager needs, what every young couple needs, is a deeper and deeper understanding of the person and the work of Jesus. The, the cross is so extraordinary for its impact, for its meaning, that you can spend your entire life studying the cross work of Jesus and the life of Jesus and never get to the bottom of it. You will never be able to plumb the depths of his grace, the heights of his love. You'll never get there. And what you and I need more than anything is to have a deeper and deeper and deeper understanding of what it means to call Christ your hope, the hope of glory. I got a call this week from a young man was born and raised in church. And this was his very struggle. This was his great need, but he's not alone. If you ever get to the place where you think you know all there is to know about Jesus, you are in a very sad and a very dangerous place. And if you want to understand the method, the fundamental primary method that God has given to the church. The fundamental primary method is not fellowship. The, 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 the fundamental primary method of the church are not harvest celebrations. The uh, fundamental primary method of doing church that God has given to the church are not Christmas programs. The fundamental primary method that God has given to the church for changed life is preaching Christ and him crucified in all, in all of its beauty and complexity and depth. Because what enemies made friends really need is a constant view of who Jesus is. What changes us, what God uses to transform us 
is the gift of seeing the glory of God, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in the face of Jesus Christ. The more of him I see, the more of him I love. And I always begin to slip and I always begin to fall when my eyes shift from seeing Jesus as he is to seeing something else. We live for whatever it is we're looking for. Say that with me. We live for whatever it is we're looking for. All right, let's try that again. I surprised you, didn't I? I gave you permission to talk. All right, here we go. Let's see if I can remember it. We live for what we, what did I say? Do you all remember? See, now I don't remember. Oh, this is terrific. We live for what we look for. Is that what I said? That sounds really good. Let's stay with that one. Let's try it again. We live for what we look for. Okay, somebody write that down in case I forget it again. We live for what we look for. So I want to ask you the question this morning. Are you receiving the ministry of the church? Are you receiving the method? Do you, do you understand it? The method of the church, the God-given method of the church is to keep portraying Christ. Christ as Lord of, of uh, the universe. Christ as creator of the universe. Christ as the creator, the Lord of all things who came, yes, at Christmas, who lived that perfect life, died that death for us, was raised again, and the, the method of God for the church is to explain at deeper and deeper levels what that means and why that matters so that you live your, your life day in, day out, week in, week out with Christ Jesus fixed in your view. Because whatever you look for, you live for. And you know, don't you, that that's true. Whatever has your attention has your affection. There's another one. Whatever has your attention has your affection. Somebody else write that down. All right. So what has your attention? What has your affection? You said, Pastor, what's your heart for me? This is my heart for you. I was thinking the other day that by the time the Lord calls me home, I will have literally spent years sitting in a seat at a desk studying. That doesn't sound too exciting, does it? And I, I will tell you, there have been times when I've wondered, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And, and the answer comes back because this is the method that God has given to his church so that the church might grow in its affection 
for Jesus by being challenged to keep its attention on Jesus. See, you and I as followers of Christ, we we can't live the abundant life he gives. We can't have a growing hope when times are tough without knowing more of Christ. We can't know more of Christ without knowing more of the scriptures that are ultimately about him. And so a healthy church will be continually pointing you to Christ in the pages of the Bible and helping you to see how to apply them to life. Christ is, as Paul says in verse 27, the hope of glory. And the more we know of Christ, the deeper our understanding of Christ. The more we grasp of his universal greatness, the more we grasp of his love for us, the more we grasp what it is to say Christ lives in me and I live in him, the more these things are true, the more we understand uh, that God has given us himself, the more we will understand that we have all we need. In Christ, we have a future no one can take from us. And the gospel that saves us, the gospel that guides us is the gospel of the good news of a great future. And when we're part of a church that's constantly pointing us to Christ, we're part of a church that actually gives us week in, week out, day in, day out, the confidence we need to live. in a tough world. And so Paul says, what what has been given to me for you is to teach, to preach, to unpack the full word of God. And his word from Genesis to Revelation is ultimately about Jesus. Preach, preach. Teach, teach, point, point, constantly, constantly to Jesus. Now I want you to notice secondly with me that uh, God has a goal for the church and we see that in verse 28. So, So ultimately what's the point of all this teaching? And by the way, by the way, can I just say this quickly because I don't want to miss this. By the way, I want to remind you that Colossians 3 says that it isn't just the uh, pastor teacher who ought to be teaching, but uh, that believers ought to be teaching each other, speaking the word of God constantly to each other. So that part of our role in our relationship in this family of ours 
is, is coming as reconciled enemies, learning to be friends of Jesus, encouraging each other as we do life together to constantly see him, to see him. It's not just my job for you to come and get your Jesus fix on Sunday morning. I do hope you hear about him and I do hope you, you are encouraged in him when you come on Sunday morning. But part of the great beauty of the body of Christ is that uh, we're doing life with other believers who are constantly pointing us not to self-help books, not to their wisdom and their understanding, but are taking what they know and what they've come to learn about Jesus and they're pouring that into us and we're pouring what we've come to know and learn about Jesus into them. That's the way this thing's supposed to work. That is God's method. That's God's method. And that's why we need each other. And that's why Christ comes with a new community made up of a new humanity that isn't perfect. We're not perfect, but our commitment is to pursue the one who is and to keep pouring what we know and see and love about Jesus into each other. All right, I gotta keep moving. I gotta keep moving. Next, I want you to see with me the goal that God has for his church in verse 28. He says, him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This one verse summarizes what God wants for the church. What he wants for the church is maturity in Christ. So Paul's God-given work of meeting the world's need and meeting the church's need for the full word of God comes with this one God-given goal. He tells us what it means, he tells us how it works, and he, and he tells us what it, what it aims to accomplish. Meeting the need for the full word of God means, of course, proclaiming Christ, and proclaiming Christ, Paul says, means doing three things. Do you see them listed there? Warning everyone, teaching everyone, and doing it with wisdom. And so part of what, what Paul says the church is, is meant to do is, is to, to warn, and it is to warn against sin and error, and, and whether that sin be uh, carried out by, by not doing something God has said we should do or by doing something God has said we shouldn't do, the, the aim and the ambition, and this is the negative side, if you will, to the gospel, is to reprimand sin and error and evil. And the church and its people are meant to, as they live life together, learn to hate sin the way Jesus hates sin while loving sinners the way Jesus loves sinners. That's part of our deal. So we're warning, we're constantly warning. We warn each other, pastor warns from the pulpit. We warn each other about the dangers and the challenges of temptation and sin. Not with an ego, not with an arrogance, not, not with, with a, 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 a self-righteousness, but with a humility, we warn each other. And we say to each other, be careful, sister, be careful, brother, that, that will hurt you. If you get involved in that, that's going to do damage to you. A question I would have for you quickly is, do you have a follower of Jesus in your life? Uh, at least one, not your spouse. Do you have at least one who has the right to speak into your life and has the right to say to you, whoa, something's off? 
You need that, I need that. We all need constantly the warnings that come through the gospel of the power and the destructiveness of sin. Paul says, secondly, proclaiming Christ means teaching everyone in the light of who he is and in light of what he's done. This is the the positive side of the gospel. And so God's people must constantly be at the feet of Jesus, learning how to do life with him. No one, nothing else can make life full, can make life real. And so we, we keep coming to Christ to the encouragement of Christ, to the hope, to the joy, to the peace, the certainty, the purity, the power that he gives. Finally, proclaiming Christ, Paul says, means warning and teaching with all wisdom. Proclaiming Christ has a fundamental requirement. And that is whenever we warn and whenever we teach that what we used to warn and what we used to teach is not our wisdom, but God's wisdom, God's wisdom found ultimately and finally in Jesus Christ and always in his word. That the word we speak to each other, whether it be of warning or teaching, always be anchored in the wisdom of God. Look, you don't need my wisdom because I don't have that much. And, And I don't need your wisdom because... While you may have more than I have, you still don't have a lot. Am I right? Maybe. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. The wisdom I need and the wisdom you need is the wisdom that comes from God. Now notice ultimately the goal is maturity. And I want to define that for you as Paul defines it and uses it. He says that the goal for this kind of proclamation of Christ is that we might present everyone mature in Christ. This is the condition that Paul works to see uh, come to believers before God at the day of judgment. Mature. The word mature doesn't quite capture the meaning of the original word here. Nor does the word perfect. In older translations, uh, the word perfect was used to translate it. But perhaps a better way to understand this word is to say that it is the quality of life that comes when a person is wholehearted in their devotion to Christ so that they can be said to be blameless in their living. They love Christ so much that they hate sin to the point that they avoid it. This is a Christ-centered or a Christ-oriented life that brings a total commitment to him. It is a life that looks like, lives like, loves like Jesus for, for, uh, 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 in every area of life. And while we will never get there until that final day, this is the ambition, this is the goal of God for his church. And this is the goal that we are to have for each other. The greatest thing that we can see coming and happening in the life of our church is that we are together and individually becoming more like Jesus. That we are reflecting him in his his love, in his joy, in his peace, in his patience, in his self-control, in his gentleness. Um. The greatest, 
encouragement there is to me is not when you come and say, Pastor, that was a, that was a great sermon. Because I know sometimes people lie, especially to preachers. I know that. I've been, I've been. But the greatest encouragement to me as a pastor is when I get to watch your life, often from a distance, but when I get to watch your life and I get to see signs and evidences of Jesus. And when I'm able to trace and see more of Jesus coming from you over the years, then I know that our church is fulfilling the goal that God has for it. One of the most important questions that a person can ask about any church is this. If I become a member of that church, will that church help me to become more or less like Jesus? Now, I said help because we can't make you more like Jesus. But we can point you encourage you, nurture you, challenge you, warn you, teach you. We, we can do that. Hey, by the way, can I just say this? The great ambition of moms and dads for their kids ought to be right here. That my children would become mature. That one day I would get to see my children stand before God. Looking like Jesus. Well, let's move on to verses 24 and 29 and see the call that God gives to the church quickly. You'll notice in verse 24, Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. And then in verse 29, he says, for this, this maturity in Christ, I toil, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. What we see here is that God, what God wants from his church, his full word taught, and what God wants for his church, every person mature in Christ, comes with a call. It comes with a call to both leaders and members to be willing to sacrifice, even if the sacrifice means suffering. It's a call to hard work that comes with struggle so that together, we learn what it means to be friends of God and family. No church will ever fulfill the method God gives it, nor reach the goal that God sets for it without members who are committed to suffering 
and sacrificing and working hard to see that individually and together Christ is reflected in all that we do. It takes teachers in that children's ministry who are willing to give up a portion of their lives to teach boys and girls. It takes men and women who are willing to give up a portion of their lives to pour into students in our student ministry. It takes men and women who are willing to pour their lives into other adults and lead a life group or help guide a life group. It takes men and women who are willing to set themselves apart and invest themselves in worship and guest services and a whole host of things. All out of a desire to see brothers and sisters in Christ become mature in Christ. What is the point of the church? Well, ultimately at the end of the day, Paul shows us that the point of the church is to be a new community, a different kind of community made up of a new humanity reconciled to God who is learning to be who they are in Christ. Learning to be friends of God and learning to be family to each other. And so as I close this morning, here is my word to you. Yes, when you received Christ, he gave himself to you. But that isn't all that he gave to you. He gave to you a new community to be part of. And you cannot have Christ without his church. If you, you try to separate the two, you will fail to be all that God has called you to be. Because we need each other speaking into each other's lives, teaching each other, encouraging each other, warning each other, challenging each other. I can't be all that I need to be without you. And you can't be, as a follower of Jesus, all you need to be without me. See, it's together by God's design that we are meant to learn how to be his friends. And we're also meant to learn how to be family. Because here's the truth. Eternity is a long time and we're going to be together for a long time. We better start learning to get together and get along now. The good news is after this life, as we step into the new, every single one of us will be made perfect. Now that's going to be quite a family. <laughs> Can I ask you, what are your expectations for this church or any other church? Are your expectations God's expectations? 
or are they something else? Jesus is Lord of the universe. He is Lord of salvation. He is head of the church. And you and I will never be satisfied. We will never be happy until our expectations of the church line up with his expectations. And when they do, we will rejoice when we're pointed to Jesus, when we're warned and we're taught and when his wisdom is given. We will rejoice like Paul when we're asked to suffer and to sacrifice to work hard for the sake of the good of others. We won't resent it. We won't dodge it. We'll dive into it. When our expectations and God's expectations for the church line up, that's where the joy begins. That's how he works. And that's what he wants from you and from me. Some of you have been attending Center Grove for a long, long time, but you've never, never, never crossed the line of membership. Isn't it time? Some of you have been members of Center Grove for a long time, but you've never found a place of service. There, there is not a place where you're intentionally sacrificing, intentionally working hard to help others come to a place of maturity in Jesus. Isn't it time? That's what God wants for his people and that's what God wants from his people. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you and bless you for all that you've done for us, for the immense richness, richness of the inheritance that we have in Christ for the gift you've given to us of a new community, a new community that can sing and worship you, can seek you, hear from you, obey you together. How we thank you, Father, and bless you that you didn't save us and then leave us on our own to try to figure out how to live life with you, but you have put us in a, in a family that sometimes is a motley crew, that sometimes is a mix that drives us crazy, but it is a mix, Father, that you use to make us more like your son with sacrifice and surrender and hard work and love given and love received, grace given and grace received. It is a family you've put in our lives to mold us, shape us, protect us, encourage us, nurture us, so that more and more and more our hearts are fixed and trained on Christ alone. And for that church, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.